Welcome to the latest episode of the CEO Matters podcast. I'm Matt Harper, the Chief Exec of the Marketing Practice. And I'm joined today by Mac Fogelson, who's the founder of Genuinely. Uh, she's a Brene Brown professional, trained professional, and an all-round amazing human being. Hi, Mac. Hi. So this episode is all about the concept of the future of work and the impact of that on agencies and brands, because agencies in particular are increasingly faced with the challenge and the opportunity of embracing the future of work, both in how we help customers and clients address their audiences and run their businesses, but also in our own organizations where talent development is absolutely critical. So this podcast is going to be about how we as agencies and brands can transform our organizations culturally in line with the future of work and whether that's led from the inside and the grassroots up or with outside help. And Mac is here because she is a pro in this world and has an amazing story having been in the agency world herself and fought her way bravely out of it to do what she does today. And we're going to hear all about that. So Mac, I would love you just to start by telling us a bit about your story because it's an incredible one. Well, my story starts ironically a very long time ago as a middle school English teacher. <laughs> Still a teacher very much today, but uh, thankfully not in the hardworking classrooms that all of our educators are doing every day. <laughs> but when I realized that my path wasn't to be uh, a middle school English teacher anymore, I went back to grad school and ended up in web design a really long time ago. And when I graduated Colorado, which is where I'm, I'm based, was in one of the largest tech recessions we've ever been in. And so I couldn't get a job. So as luck would have it, I just started freelancing and building websites. And a few years later, a company was born. And that was basically a 14-year journey. It was, um, we were always a small boutique digital marketing firm, but we were working across the world because at that time, businesses were really trying to figure out what the Google algorithms all meant and how to rank number one. And um, so we were, on, I was on the stage across the world talking about community building and purpose and connection and how we do that with our customers and our employees. Needless to say, I jumped off that ride. There was just a point where it was a constant evolving of that company, a constant pivoting of what would get customers to believe in the fact that they had to be better from the inside out. And really all they wanted was to build more Facebook followers in their communities, you know? So I decided to uh, take a break and get into org design because I knew that that would be the place where I could affect the business at its core, that I could, I, I've always had the passion to build better companies. That's really where um, that journey ended up. And Ironically, now in the world, in our post-pandemic world, where meaning and connection and authenticity, it's not a luxury anymore, um, where before that, that might have been so. It's a requirement, both for our employees and our customers. So now, in my work, fast forward many years later, I'm an org designer, an OD, and I help companies, teams, leaders, that, that whole bit to redesign their systems and build braver cultures. And my background is in large-scale transformation. So I got my start in large-scale system design 
for um, mostly for IT departments, engineering, but that work proved to fall short in terms of digital transformation for these companies because it was lacking the relational leadership work that was required to shift ways of working and shift systems and culture. So that missing component was added on years later when I trained with Brene Brown and became certified to teach her curriculum. And since then, I've really just been crafting this amalgam of human-centric approach to how organizations can solve problems, innovate, and really not like lose their souls with all of the complexity and uncertainty that is required and the constant change that we're facing to build resilient and bold companies and leaders. So I've worked all over the world from iconic companies like Apple with thousands and thousands of employees everywhere to small companies um, with hundreds of employees, similar to the marketing practice. And what I know to be true is no matter what size or industry that we're in, we all struggle with the same challenges. We all have the same problems and tensions. And we all really struggle to navigate that uncertainty and complexity. So that's really where my work is now is I've studied uncertainty for years and what it does to us as humans and how it negatively impacts our ability to innovate and perform commercially and have strong um, financial health in our organizations. So that's really what I'm all about. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. And it's amazing that you identified that a while ago and, and started on that path a while ago, but it feels like the time in the world is now for that kind of work. You know, as we sit here recording this, we have a war going on in Ukraine and we have potentially an economic downturn and lots of pressures in everyone's lives and we're coming off the back of a pandemic and all that kind of stuff. So what you describe around uncertainty and resilience, those themes in business and in life are so strong right now. So it feels like now is the time for that work, you know, for, for now and for the future for, for organizations in particular. Absolutely. I feel like there's more irony in all of this is that right before um, kind of the world shut down with the pandemic, I had published on Medium a manifesto, if you will, about org design that's called Navigating Uncertainty. And literally like a week later, the world shut down and it, it's kind of like a playbook a bit. So that's been guiding companies, you know, in, in that journey, uh, getting them curious about that journey for, for years. But certainly um, there's a lot more to it than a, a manifesto can communicate. Yeah. And I think, I think particularly bringing the agency perspective. So the marketing practice, we're about 500 people, global business. And I think what that means for us and, and why I've been so interested by the work that you do and, and this, the future of work in particular is we're going through a lot of uncertainty and change as well. You know, we've acquired five or six agencies in the last 18 months. We're bringing those businesses together. We're, we're putting change and uncertainty on our staff and on our clients and on our organization in an unprecedented level. And Although I know that's going to create so much value because I can see the potential for what we have in the organization. It's always been on my mind when we first started out on this journey two years ago, how are we going to navigate that change in a way that is culturally additive for our business and for our people and for our clients? And uh, I'd love to tell the story of when I when I first met you, Mac, because we we were looking to make our first acquisition of a, an agency called Omabono. And at that point, we'd courted and spoken to several different agencies in that sector, uh, looking for a really great creative agency that could bring a lot of digital skills, brand skills to the table. 
And we knew about Omobono from some connections in common, but didn't know much about them other than they're very good. And at the very first conversation I remember having with Ben, the CEO, and a handful of his team, I just felt like I'd walked into a virtual room at that point with a bunch of adults. I know that sounds weird to say, but mm. just with a bunch of human beings that seem to have this kind of ability to communicate and hold themselves and work together in, in such a way that was so mature. And you could just tell brought out the best of them and the best of their organization. As that grew over time, and as we started to get to know one another a bit and understand what their motivations would be to, to sell their agency to us and to, to join forces with us, all the way through that, the values of their people and what it would mean to them and the culture and all of those things were so integral to how they wanted to move forward in the world. And as we met more of the team and started to understand, okay, those, you know, those classic questions, like what's great about your organization that when we come together, you're not gonna want to lose. They were all saying, it's this. They call it um, Omobono, they called it Omobono 2.0. That was what they called this kind of future of work <laughs> initiative that you had led yeah. um, with the team. But um, that was what they were all saying was like, we've got to keep that because without that, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be the organization we are. We wouldn't be moving through our work in a way that was better than any other organization that we've ever worked in. And just instinctively, I had this thing of like, that's what we need. Like we need this ability to move through this uncertainty and empower our people to manage that uncertainty and be resilient through it in this, in the way that I'm hearing and, and that they're describing. So that was how we met one another. And I guess for us that yeah. that journey has been, you know, the last 12 months of starting to, to build towards that. Yes. And a lot of bold and brave moves on your part as a CEO to see that that is an integral and non-negotiable component to building what you need to build, especially with mergers and acquisitions, the fear and um, the stories that come with that, that we've inherited just like by watching movies or, or hearing our friends talk about what happens when companies get acquired and they merge and then um, we lose everything that felt real and true or good about where we came from. The neat thing about Omobono is that I had come off of such very large cultural and systems transformations in multi-billion dollar companies where we can't really affect or impact the level of change that I would hope as an OD. And ultimately what happened was um, getting into Omobono, a hundred person company we could touch everything and we could do everything. And it was a really magical experience and really serendipitous then that they were acquired and that the scale has now increased and that we can bring that journey to so many more people and impact the future of work across the world. Yeah, and I think I think what you describe is particularly true in, in the marketing sector and the advertising sector. And it'll be relevant to, I think, a lot of the people listening to this is we're all aware of st those stories and fears that you describe are so true within the marketing and advertising world where there's been a lot of M&A over the last 20 years and very little of it mm -hmm. do we hear stories of it going really well and of people thriving in that environment and those those organizations extracting the value from that M&A that's that's the key thing and it was always my biggest fear and continues to be my biggest fear that we that in the journey that we're on as we acquire and we grow and we aim to be the best in B2B and business to business that we would lose that that we would lose lose what made these organizations special in the first place and we'd follow the path of what other marketing advertising agencies and groups have, have gone down where they've really struggled with that and i think this work and the future of work is is really key to protecting that value um, and moving forward in a more positive way. 
Absolutely. I wonder if we, it's worth us kind of taking a step back and just, I guess, explaining what the future of work is for people who are listening to this thinking, okay, conceptually, I kind of get it, but what is the future of work? Like, can we define it, please? Um, so I'll, I'll, let yes, you take absolutely. I'll let you take the first stab at that. Yeah, it's become such a, a cliche, maybe. <laughs> but the future of work is really about redesigning work and redesigning our organizations to serve us better than they have in the past. So we talk about this a lot um, at TMP, but there's this legacy we've inherited about work and we're, we're unconsciously following these ways of building companies that really don't serve us anymore. So um, the future of work is all about shaping and, and building and reinventing our organizations for the world now, not the way the world was hundreds of years ago when you know we were trying to industrialize the way we did work and conveyor belt and assembly line everything so we talk a lot about complexity um, and uncertainty because that is the environment that we're in so a lot of the future of work i would like to say is already here even though we have a long ways to go and it's been here for some time but not all companies have been brave enough to really move towards it which is what is so wonderful to be part of what we're doing with the marketing practice because you all have been brave enough to see that we're not only going to move forward or towards it, we are essentially rushing, <laughs> running towards it, and we are pioneering ways in which um, we can change the game with how not only how companies in general are built and designed, but mostly in marketing and completely disrupting how we do that. So the pandemic, it really exacerbated and accelerated the tensions that organizations all over the world have needed to face and solve in order to thrive. Like most importantly, how we build the relationships and hold the relationships with our employees. Essentially, we've been invited to shift and change a lot of this stuff. And the brave companies like the marketing practice are They've already begun to unravel what hasn't been serving us and taking a look at things like control, fear, this more transactional way of, of running a business, challenging scarcity thoughts and mindsets, and the fact that we have a lack of vulnerability, honesty, and courage at work. So the brave ones are changing that relationship between humans and systems. And that that's really what the future of work is. And I can share more in detail and and maybe you can chime in there, Matt, about um, what you've experienced so far in our transformation. I can, I can share some more specifics about what the future of work really is and what those characteristics would be in our companies. Would that be helpful? Yeah, I think, I think within, within the marketing world, in particular in the agency world, a lot of those things that you describe around fear and control and process is a big one. You know, what you describe about yes. what the legacy we've inherited from hundreds of years of doing business, that's very true in the agency world. Often agencies, I think, have particularly smaller agencies. We have good culture because inherently we're collaborative organizations where we rely on that connection between people to thrive. But often what gets in the way is the clash between that culture and that collaboration and then how we're actually working under the surface, our relationship with hierarchy, our relationship with with control and process and, and things that we think are there to design optimization and better quality but actually they're often not serving us uh, what serves us better for, yep. for value for our clients is innovation and creativity and pushing against the rules and not having rules and, and instead having flexibility yeah um, and those are the things that i yes. think 
we're really looking to get from this is how do we throw the shackles off our people, 500 people, like a lot of people, in a way that creates value and drives creativity and doesn't, you know, also isn't scary, that also doesn't throw the shackles off to the point where you become an <laughs> uncontrolled organization that you can't predict what the outcome might be or you can't sort of plan for the future. Yep. Absolutely. So the components of that in terms of bringing future of work to our companies, there's probably five or six things that I could just recap, but ultimately at the base of it, it's learning to thrive in constant uncertainty and complexity. And as you're mentioning, our processes, our systems are often the first things to get in the way. We're trying to control the uncertainty and complexity with process and rules and compliance And that's where all the bureaucracy comes in. So we're really wanting to teach our people the skills as a human being to learn how to understand our emotions, our fears, our stories that come up in those environments, because that's our everyday, and learn how to be those resilient leaders that can innovate and create and respond to that environment from a human-centric and compassionate place. So that requires us to honor vulnerability and the human experience at work. So we often talk about, you know, being a whole human, that's a big movement now. And can I bring my whole self to work? But often that isn't coupled with the responsibility of what you mentioned earlier, Matt, about being a grown-up. We can't just, you know, overshare and put our whole lives in front of everybody and call that vulnerability. That's really oversharing and overstepping our bounds. So Um, learning the role of vulnerability at work and knowing that it's okay to engineer that back in because we've really taken that out of everything we do in business. So when we redesign vulnerability back in and we teach people how to be humans who hold boundaries, who can be vulnerable, honest, courageous, compassionate in the workplace, then we can have those things like innovation, problem solving, creativity, trust, resilience, equity, inclusion, all the things that we really want and need at work to be those thriving organizations and creative agencies that we need to be. So inside of that, it's learning how to process tensions, fears, feelings, and stories in our work and with our teams and having that built into our infrastructure and our processes at work. And that makes for a much more fluid organization because We're not ignoring the human element and what that brings to our work. We're processing through that so that we can get to the work and do our best work. So when we're doing that, we're giving the flexibility, the autonomy, the freedom that everybody really desires at work, especially now, and not just those who are at the top of the organization. So... Ultimately, that's kind of wrapped up in just having balanced ways of working in our organizations. So we often think about just, as you mentioned, Matt, the systems and the processes and being efficient, being fast, and doing speed. <laughs> and we talk a lot about speed and how often that just gets us nowhere faster. It gets us a bigger mess faster. <laughs> so we, we do a lot of slowing down so that we can balance between our ways of doing our systems, processes, and pathways that allow the work to flow through the organization and our ways of being, which is how we lead, how we're in relationship with each other, what our mindsets and behaviors are 
when we're influencing others and we're, we're connecting in our relationships at work. We need those behavioral strengths of our ways of being and we need the system strengths of our ways of doing. When you talk about ways of being, one story I'd tell is we made a big investment earlier this year, which was quite scary at the time. Um, and I'm still slightly surprised we did it, where we, at a very critical moment in the year, financially, we took the entire leadership teams from all of the businesses, it was about 35 people, out of their businesses for two days. We flew them all to London and we had UMAC facilitate two days worth of training that was not about financial performance. It was not about strategy. It was not about the business. It was about ourselves as individuals and leaders. And it was really scary doing that because the stories I had going into that were people are going to be wondering, what are they doing? Why is Matt making us do this? Why, why are we why are we sat in this room <laughs> talking about our feelings and our stories and our emotions? Why aren't we out there doing selling to our clients? But the feedback and the value that we got from that and people starting to learn those skills around vulnerability and how that how we can practice vulnerability, learning our uh, how our uh, behaviors and how our armor shows up in our work when we're under stress, under pressure, what triggers it. Some of the breakthroughs that I think we made yes. as leaders were foundational for how we've moved forward since then, for really understanding ourselves and being able to show up in a different way with our teams. Absolutely. It, it's like companies are afraid to prioritize the, if you would, inner work, you know, the leadership work. And that's what unlocks everything. And like I mentioned, you have to have that mix between systems and leadership and culture. It's not mutually exclusive. It's That's why our ways of working is that equation for very resilient, human, innovative companies. And, and that comes through the both of those things. And I remember in that room watching the, the party lines, if you will, crumble. And although we had many different leaders across all the many companies that had been acquired at that time and where all that fear and story was showing up in unwillingness to collaborate or communicate or hold really tightly to our territory, that became something that crumbled in the room because now all of a sudden we weren't about the roles and the titles and our territory, we were about people and connection, which I know is a really important piece for you, especially as a CEO. And, and I think the, the last thing I would name um, in, in addition to just knowing that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging must be integrated in the future of work, in our decision-making and our, and our, our lenses that we use to shape our systems but also it's that integral shared relationship and partnership between employee and employer that it really is all about breaking down that traditional hierarchy of power and that top down, very linear way of thinking about organizations and unlearning and relearning so that we can push power to the edges and closest to the work where it belongs. And that's really what will change all of our companies and this future of work. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think the experience I've had of that in how we work with employees is, I think just that the vulnerability piece provides a different level of connection between a manager or a leader and the people that they work with. You know, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, structures and frameworks and org charts. It's not about that. 
that's the thing that people want to yes. jump to yeah they, they want to jump to like what's the yeah show me who's going to work for who because then I kind of have control and I feel like I know what my role is in that but that's just that, that's not real you know that's just an org chart it's a it's a thing on a powerpoint slide what matters is what is the system what is your role in that system and what is the what are the connection points that you have with people in that system and it doesn't mean that there isn't power in the organization and authority in the organization because there is but it's about how you use that power and share that power as a leader um, and how you show up with that and and that is starting to fundamentally make a change to how our people feel working in the organization it reduces the fear yeah the stories they have about who makes decisions and how they get made and all that kind of stuff a good example of that is i think how we've led through integration where one of the principles that i know you'll come on to talk about is working in the open and as much as possible we, we mm-hmm. try and hold all of our work as a business in the open what that means for integration is rather than doing stuff in closed rooms and closed doors and holding information about how we're thinking about integration and how it will work in private in a way that creates and exacerbates those fears and tensions about what the future will hold as much as possible that information is in the open so that anyone can go in and look at those work streams and what we're doing and what is the latest on it and what are we considering and they can give input to it and the the relationship that that creates between the business and the employee is fundamentally different because it's one that starts from a place of trust not one that starts from a place of power yes Absolutely. And it gets rid of that or reduces greatly the learned helplessness that we often foster and unconsciously create in our organizations where we give power to just a few. And then it's really sending the message that we don't trust anybody else to make decisions. And and so then it causes slowing, you know, um, we don't have flow. People aren't thinking strategically. So Really, it's kind of like asking that question, how do we create the conditions to do our best work? And in that holds the answers of how we will share power, who needs power. Everyone needs to have a voice and how we're doing that in in the system to create this thriving, resilient human organization. And so I wonder, Mac, if if maybe you can share a few examples of how that comes to life in an organization. Um, I know we have our guiding guiding principles. That's one element of it. Could you talk a little bit about some of those examples of how all of this work comes to life in a a set of guidance that a business can work to that, that really brings to life the future of work? Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of pulling it back a bit, it's we're redesigning and reimagining what our organizations and ways of working could be. And it will be different for every company because there's a lot of conversation around future of work. And often that can be coupled with terms like self-organized or self-managing frameworks and models like holacracy. But I've seen a lot of that work completely fail. So every company is going to be different. And that's part of the work and the journey in itself is learning to sense and respond the unique needs of your organization and knowing how to blend those ways of being and doing to create the ways of working that are the undercurrent of your culture and your systems. So um, one of the things you've mentioned is that we strive to govern our organizations in the future of work with guiding principles and leadership principles rather than using control and rules and compliance that gives us that ability to give our our people the freedom to think rather than become these robots that just follow and wait to be told. 
So using those guiding principles, it helps us scale ways of working across an entire culture, across an entire organization and system. So in this guiding principle approach, it requires us to be relational leaders and learn to be very human and put in the effort to connect with the people that we lead and care about the people that we lead. So it's not a transactional process driven type of thing, but guiding principles are things like small moves over big moves. So we're not predicting or planning the future because we can't, we don't know what's going to happen. We need to get into the work and learn by doing. It's things like you mentioned, open over close, which makes information accessible, which is power and sharing that power and authority so that we all have access to do um, the work that we need to do. Uh, freedom over control, trusting the people that we hire to take responsibility, not only for the good work they need to do, but also for their health and well-being in that shared relationship. Decision-making principles like consent over consensus, where we ultimately are learning to allow difference. And, and this is the absolute test of diversity of thought is people don't have to agree to, to move forward we can build enough psychological safety and trust to say, I see what you're proposing. This seems safe to try. It won't cause irreparable financial or cultural harm, but it will allow us to experiment and test and see what we learn. And I trust that we will get into that learning. And if something is not right, we will steer differently and we will work together to co-create that way. Lots of different ways in which um, principles stand up and guide our organization, including things like less over more, such a hard thing for every single company, trusting that we can prioritize only a few valuable things, let the other things go, and that will support us in getting to our outcomes. And I think that's, isn't, as you say, it's not new, right? Like you look at agile principles or other ways of working that yes. are similar principles. But I think what we can fall into the trap of in the marketing advertising world and agency world in particular is we're always trying to make big moves. We're always, you know, we're always taking on too much. We're always trying to do too much. Um, we're always trying to strive towards perfection. These principles are so important for actually making hard work that we all do feel so much easier because you are making the small moves first. You're taking an experimentation approach. You're giving yourself permission to fail and giving yourself permission to have things not be perfect and to not know all the answers. And as a leader, that is yes. something you might conceptually think of, but actually making the moves to get to that point where you're actually doing that, you are creating the safety for yourself and, and for people in the organization to fail and learn. That's huge because people start to behave yeah. differently. They start to take more responsibility. They start to take more calculated risks. They start to innovate. And those are the things that we all want as leaders and, and employers is we want our, our businesses to, to be doing those things. But it starts with those principles and it starts with leading by example of those principles. Yes. And it, we're making it sound so easy, but literally the journey is as a human with those skills and tools that teach us to use vulnerability uh, effectively to manage our emotions, our stories, our fears, our feelings, to be able to have the safety to do that in our teams and with others, that's all coupled. So if the guiding principles are essentially our ways of doing that help us with our pathways and our processes and our systems to really get flow in the organization, it's paired with those ways of being that are our leadership principles. 
So not underestimating the impact that honesty has. And our number one leadership principle is we talk to people, not about people. And that is literally the hardest thing for people to do because we have learned to not have courage to actually be honest with people. And it has nothing to do with being insulting or disrespectful. It has everything to do with connection. So us owning our own part in conflicts or struggles or challenges with those that we work with and stepping into those conversations in a vulnerable place by saying, hey, I messed up or hey, I, I showed up like a jerk because I'm afraid that this is going to go bad and it's going to look bad on me, <laughs> you know? So um, knowing that there's also that big importance in leadership principles, like we talk to people, not about people. We set clear boundaries about what's okay and what's not okay. And we have conversations about those things when they're violated. We acknowledge, accept, and embrace change and uncertainty. And often that's the principle we violate the most. And then we're not managing our emotions or our needs and our stories. So uh, we talk a lot about using questions, using curiosity and generosity to guide. So it's asking questions like, what do you need that you're not getting or that maybe you're not asking for? Or it might be questions like, um, uh, how have you been complicit in creating the conditions that you really don't want? And how, uh, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to change those conditions? So really taking that responsibility. And, and this is all an amalgam of Brene Brown's work, Jerry Colonna's work, Iko Bathia's work, uh, Sarah Blondin's work. There's so many amazing thinkers that have contributed to this way and approach. But ultimately, it's just about being real with each other and being responsible. And as you said before, learning to be a grown-up. Thanks, Mac. And the last thing I'd like to bring into this is is just a little bit about the impact that all this can have, because we're only ever going to scratch the surface of this in, you know, a 40 minute <laughs> session. And you and I could, yes. you and I could talk about yes. this for days. But the, but really, I want to just reiterate <laughs> what, what this can mean for an organization and particularly an organization in our sector, because embracing the future of work and these principles we've talked about is all about creating more connection in an organization between people, between people and the organization. And that connection builds better relationships, that those relationships result in better work, better work results in better sales, profitability, yes. retention, all the things that as leaders and commercial leaders we crave for our organizations. So there's a really close tie between embracing these ways and what it will mean for an organization and thriving and growing for the future. And, and that's one of the most exciting bits of this. But I also think, and what I'm personally passionate about is it goes beyond just the business. We've had people in our organization who from the things they've learned from this work have come back to us and said, this has changed my life. Mm -hmm. It's changed my relationship with my children, my family, how I've shown up in really hard times mm -hmm. for my family. I've learned skills to be resilient through that, that aren't just about work. They're also about my personal life. And the trickle down effect of that on our people, our community, on the clients we work with, you know, influencing our clients in this way. And, you know, it's going to be hard for us to teach our clients these ways, but they experience these ways and they love these ways of working. That's huge because it can have a real ripple effect on the industry and on, on the people around us. 
So I think there's more in this that, you know, for agencies, we're all str- always striving not just to do our best work and to be famous and all of those things and to do great work for our clients. Mm-hmm. We're also often striving to do good in the world. And that's important for yes. a lot of agency owners and leaders. And this is one way that we can do that because we can have a huge impact on people's lives by giving them the skills to be resilient and to and to show up in a different way. So it's a Absolutely. worthwhile work. Well, we're, we're not a different person at work than we are at home. We think we are, and we've engineered it that way. But really, the a lot of this journey is understanding that we're one human, and we can be that human in all the environments that we step into. We just need the skills and tools to learn how to navigate that fear, that uncertainty. But really, if we have time for one more little piece here, Matt, I wondered if maybe you talk a little bit about how the company has really allowed people to be whole at work in, in terms of this piece about they can each have their values and certainly be who they are at work. And also then we're using guiding principles to steer the company, but we're not asking people to fall in line to the values of our organization, if you will. You're hitting on one of my biggest bugbears so i think okay. i think you're absolutely okay. you're absolutely right so the i think there's a huge thing in in corporate culture about the values that an organization has and often when any company is 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 talking about the culture it has and the culture it wants to create you go to the values first like what are our values how do we hold those dear and personally i've always felt that there's been a disconnect between a company having values and putting its values onto their people has never felt like a comfortable thing to do. You know, who am I to tell our people like what their value should be? They have their own values. And I think I think that's where you're, you're right. The guiding principles become important. You have principles about how you work and how you show up. But you are, as you say, helping people find their own values and live to their own values because actually that's when they'll have a much better connection with the organization and their work is when they're in an environment where they're really living and working to their values not someone else's values. And I I just think that's huge. I could not have said it better myself. And if companies want to just test that out a bit, if they Google or go to Brene Brown's website, there are activities on how to identify your values and go through that with your teams. And as Matt is saying, that is an integral foundation for each of the individuals in our companies, knowing who they are so they can lead from that place. And then we use our guiding principles to um, guide us through those ways of working and how we uh, behave as a collective. So it's, I'm very proud of you all for the pioneering work that you're doing. It's very brave and it's, it's humbling and I'm very honored to be part of it. Well, we couldn't do without you. That's a great note to end on. Uh, so that yeah we'll we'll close out this yeah. episode of CEO Matters and a, a huge thank you to you Mac for for joining us um, thank you all for listening yeah uh, and remember if you enjoyed this episode be sure to share it listen out for the next episode as well there'll be more to come bye for now.